Welcome to the Celtic Way podcast, where we look to bring a fresh vision of spiritual life by nurturing a vibrant, evolving, and sustainable life with God in nature. Celtic spirituality is an ancient tradition of seeing God in everyone and in everything. Well, welcome everyone to the Celtic Way podcast. We are in part two of a five-part series, which is something we've never done on this podcast yet. And we are praying with the seasons. If you missed last week's episode, make sure you go back and listen to it so that you get the introduction so you know what the heck it is that we're doing here. (laughs) And today... This might be strange because as we're recording this, we're at the cusp of summer. And for those of us who, like me, live in Wisconsin or like you, Scott, who live in Colorado, we live for this time of the year when when summer is on the horizon. So for some crazy reason, you thought it was a good idea to start by talking about winter. At the beginning of the summer, you're going to make us talk about winter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I want you to picture, you know, one of those forgettable winners that when it comes, it never leaves, right? Yeah, we've had plenty of those. Yeah. It's quite an invitation, though, by beginning this whole Celtic wheel of the year. And that's maybe a good thing to remember is that the calendar for the Celts is not made up of a piece of paper with fixed dates on it. It begins at winter in the Shroud of Mystery and the Gift of Promise. I think both mystery and promise are there. I don't know how it is for you in Wisconsin. I swear to you that every Halloween since we've lived here in Colorado, it snows. You know, these kids are all ready to go trick-or-treating. They're all dressed up and they're standing inside the doorway looking out going, it's snowing. We have a little bit of a joke around here that kids don't dress up as Superman or Barbie. They dress up as Superman with snow pants and Barbie with a snow coat. (laughs) (laughs) The dark part of the year is dawning. Now, I just use London as sort of the latitude that we're looking at for these Celtic people, ancient Celts. It gets pretty dark around October 31st, and a lot of our Halloween, interestingly enough, traditions come from that. But for the Celtic people, the daytime started at sundown, not sunrise. There's something about the darkness that is the beginning, and when People like you and I, we go back to Genesis and we read the creation myth where it says there was evening and there was morning the first day. And that was the ancient Hebrew understanding of when the day began was at sundown. Darkness falls and things began. There was darkness when God created the world as the myth goes, and then there was light. And I like that in some ways because the darkness comes with the profound mystery And a gift for people like us, because it says in the darkness, you can't see what's going on. You can't control what you can't see. You have no influence over what's coming next. And here we are. We have to just open our heart and be vulnerable and available to this darkness. And we have to trust that what the winter season brings is a prolonged sense of Well, the lack of daylight. I mean, when it gets dark in London or when we lived in St. Petersburg, Russia, when winter came, it's dark, baby. You don't get a whole lot of light, so you have to be prepared for the winter. And when we talk about dark, especially in an ancient setting, it's complete Mm. darkness without the light pollution that often we deal with today. I grew up in the middle of the country outside of a small town, so darkness 
was darkness. You couldn't yeah. see the hand in front of your face if the moon wasn't out. And that's the sense that I get when I hear you talk about that type of darkness because you really cannot see where you're going. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Me too, Midwestern small town, go out at night, put my back down on the grass, look up and actually see the constellations clear as a bell. And in one day I flew to San Diego. That was my new home, went outside at night, couldn't see Jack in the sky, right? So darkness comes, and so the tempo, as you and I know, who have lived through our share of winters, everything slows down, if not shuts down. So the pace of life, spiritually speaking, has now literally and spiritually become much slower. Winter's gift has to do with a very deep and intentional reflection on our lives. This is what winter offers us. And at the same time, we look out the window, maybe we go for a walk, we see everything that is covered with snow, with ice. It's frigid cold outside. It's not far out of reach out of our imagination to say that one of the primary themes of winter is the coming of death. Oh, what a place to begin the spiritual journey. When we do have time to sit and reflect and and contemplate around our spiritual practice, winter gives us this theme and asks the question, what needs to die in our lives? What do we need to release, completely let go of? And that's hard work. We have to really do a spiritual inventory. When the pandemic really got underway, my spiritual director said to me, I think it would be good to do a review of life, which is no picnic. You know, I spent probably many, many days, if not weeks, just doing this review of life and asking the question, what is it that I need to release? What do I completely need to let go of? And I think the metaphor of putting it to death is profound. Some things in our life need to die. Winter says it's time to ask that question. And I do appreciate you saying that winter says that it's time to ask that question, because if you think about any of the other seasons, especially the seasons like what we're heading into where there is a lot more daylight, you simply don't take, as you mentioned, the time to reflect. And winter forces that time to reflect because of the darkness, also because of the cold. And too often we look at that as a negative thing, but the reality is those reflection spaces and asking those questions are some of the most healthy spiritual things that we can do, which is why I think it's so wonderful that you've chosen winter to kick this off with. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah. And it's quite an invitation because eventually we will ask the question, how can I become the seed of my own rebirth? There is no spring that's worth having without a sacred and an intentional winter. It's not far from Jesus who says, look, when a seed falls into the ground and dies, then, right, it can give rise to what's coming next. It's not all that different when Jesus says, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Nobody likes to hear that. It's not fun, but it's the great Paschal mystery. My Catholic background will talk to us about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as a continuous pattern that all of us can follow in our life and do whether we're aware of it or not. And I think that's what's beautiful about life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is 
when I was growing up, the only way that I was taught to think about that was specific to Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. But when yeah. we expand our thought or we think about Celtic spirituality, it's really something that we take and apply to all of our lives in just about every way that you can imagine. Yeah. When I study the ancient Celts and wonderful things that come out of this, they believed that after you died, you lived on what was called the other side of the veil. Not a wall. It's the other side of a veil. And at this time of year, when winter started, the Celts called that Samhain, or the end of the light half of the year, the end of the summer season. When Samhain came, they believed that that veil between the living and the dead became very thin, became permeable. In fact, beings would cross from one side of the veil to the other, like the Druids. Some Druids could actually go to the other side of the veil and be instructed by those who live now on the other side of the veil and come back with this great wisdom and knowledge. But they also believed in these fairies. If you've ever read Celtic mythology, fairies are a real thing. And they were very much tricksters, pranksters. And so people would make sacrifices and they would leave these sacrifices on their doorsteps. And that way, if the fairies were going to come and torment them, well, they could take the offering and then they would be appeased and they wouldn't bother these people. Some people, during the day, if they had to be out at this time of year, they would wear masks. They would wear a mask. And I'm thinking, yeah, I've been wearing a mask for over a year now. <laughs> <laughs> and these people would wear masks so the fairies couldn't identify who they were and get them when they were passing from one village to the next. So you can begin to see where Halloween comes from, right? You wear masks and they'd have a big feasting. They would sit outside if it wasn't too cold, have all this food and ale and drinking and dancing. The year is closing out. And people would go door to door, and if you didn't have something for them, they would play a prank on you. I don't know if you did that when you were a kid. If people didn't give you candy, did you do something to their house? I think mostly people gave us candy. Every once in a while, you'd go to that dentist's house, and he'd give you an apple, and you definitely wanted to play a prank. But I guess I had a little bit too much morality on me when I was young. I never actually yeah. did it. In our neighborhood, everybody knew everybody. I'm not pulling any pranks. <laughs> My mom and dad would find out before. I got home. It is interesting, Scott, when you talk about this, you're talking about pagan traditions and Celtic traditions, and you can sense little pieces of even our Christian tradition because they got very intermingled throughout history, especially when Christians were trying to convert pagans to Christianity. And some of those things just got awfully muddled in the middle. And so you can hear a pagan tradition and think, oh, that sounds a lot like the Old Testament Exodus story. You think about right. the fairies and the sacrifices. And I right. think about passing by the door, putting the blood on the doorpost, some of those types of things. It's just really interesting that different traditions have some commonality in the center, I guess. And Christians and pre-Christian Celts, the pagan Celts, I'll say this to you, this will irk some people who are listening but the entire Christian liturgical calendar is overlaid on a very natural calendar. And the themes that are underneath our liturgical calendar are there and can enrich us if we're not afraid to incorporate them. Let me give you an example. In the liturgical churches, in the sacramental churches, 
October 31st and November 1st have become huge days. Now, I understand that October 31st is Halloween for the kids, but November 1st is All Saints Day. The Celtic people believed that a, a very intimate communion happened with those beyond the veil. It's not a mystery to me that in the early church, we actually moved All Saints Day from where it was originally in August to November 1st to compete with pagan holidays and customs. It's fascinating. And also, speaking of winter, early Christians took on the end of December as Christmas, as a celebration of Jesus' birth, when yeah. most historians will tell you, based on what it says biblically, that Jesus wasn't born in the middle of winter. Right. But again, taking a pagan holiday and just placing mm -hmm. Christianity over the top of it is, is what we did with the winter solstice in that case, and Saturnalia right. festival and all of that. Yeah. And so you can see that even if we did put it on the winter solstice, which really makes sense to me about balance. And so the coming and the ending of light, I mean, it's just fascinating. Jesus is born, we have this picture at night, and who's guided to see him? People from Iran, who, by the way, weren't exactly orthodox people, and they're guided by a star, for goodness sake. And so here are these people way beyond the boundary coming to worship, and the expansiveness of Christianity is told in that story from the very beginning, and somehow we muddled our way and lost that. But moving All Saints Day to November 1st really resonated with these people. Ancient Celtic people did not fear death the same way maybe many of us do today, because they communed with those people on the other side of the veil at two major festivals of the year, and often Prayers, incantations, songs, poetry, and stuff were said about them and to them. So when All Saints Day lands here, it restores that really healthy thing that, as Winter says, death is unavoidable. Death is for all, and therefore, because it comes from God, we should not fear it. Our loved ones live beyond the veil. That's our ultimate destiny, and it's a gift from God. And so, when you read through their prayers that we still have, these people just didn't see death as the enemy, but as the fulfillment of their journey. When you and I walk outside, the gift in winter is often hidden from us. We know that underneath all this ice and snow, Things that have, quote, unquote, died and fallen off trees or bushes or leaves, it's all disintegrating. It's all re-entering the earth. We're not going to have any spring, really, unless all of that happens. Parts of insects, parts of dead birds, everything goes back in to where it's supposed to. Without winter, the next season is going to be awfully dry. So, in many ways, I guess it's not a season that we get all excited about, but at the same time, to me, it's like spices on the meat. I mean, it's like the seasoning in the salad. It's like, this is really rich, deep, good work. I've been studying something that's really related to this in my mind. It's like, what happened to the Christian community during the pandemic in the States? 
And I've been doing a lot of research. I've read a number of different polls. The most recent one I read the other day was from Lifeway Research. I'm always interested, like, how many people are planning on going back to church? It's an interesting thing. Out of the people who did attend church regularly, according to this poll, 91% of them are headed back. This was kind of surprising to me. I'm glad 68% said they would go back at the same kind of rhythm, but 23% out of the people who went to church, they're planning on going back more than they did before. 6% of the people polled said they're not going back to church. I thought that number would actually be higher. I did too. I was surprised when you just said it right Mm -hmm. there. I thought that would be a higher number as well. Have you heard of the Pew poll? Yes. They are really sophisticated and detailed. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't agree with this poll. They think the number of people who are not going back is probably around 18%. So almost three times that. Right. Both polls talked about over 50% of the people grew closer to God during the pandemic than they had been before. And now this is where I get real interested. Like, I want to know how. I want to know why. And so some of the polls have answers. People were surprised they felt this hunger for the need of small communities. So they tried Zoom. What they discovered on Zoom is that you can actually become closer in a small faith community than they have ever experienced before. The encouragement and level of conversation they experienced led them to a better and more sustained spiritual practice and scripture reading. Here's the kicker to me. 18% of the people said they are now, this is something they're continuing to do, they're discovering how to pray with God outside. Well, I thought that did that mean you're praying with God outside in small groups? No, during the pandemic, you don't want to be around anybody. So they learned how to pray with God in the seasons that they were in to listen to the voice of nature, to discover the rhythms. It gave them what they call here in this report an intimate connection that fed their reading of Scripture. I would agree with those people in the poll of saying that there is a deep connection that you can have when you're connecting with God outside. The other thing I'm thinking about the pandemic, Scott, is that it's almost as if we've had a 18 to 20-month winter. And so it's been a prolonged experience of digging deep or of evaluating or looking at our lives. And I'm wondering if some of the depth of those small Zoom groups is because there wasn't a lot of interaction going on in everyday life. So people weren't worn out by the time they got to church or the time they got to their prayer group. So they're actually eager and excited for it. I would be interested just to ask some some more probing questions to that group. Yeah, because I'm teaching this class on praying with the seasons, and winter was the first one we did. So many people made that correlation. And so how to delve into that, sort of like mine the season. You're digging out the nuggets, the ore of it. All these things I'm hearing on class, and people are like, yeah, this is important to spend time really reflecting on our lives. Do this review of life. And I said, to these people in the group. So in this prolonged winter season, what's the value? Tell me about the benefits. The whole screen, there's like 15 people in this class. Everybody was quiet. Finally, one woman said, I know myself in a deeper way than I've paid attention to in a long time. 
my life was so harried, full of things. And then she paused and she looked right into the screen and she said, I wonder sometimes if subconsciously I'm not keeping myself over busy so I can avoid my own life. I think there's a lot of people that could relate to what she said in your class, because that seems to be a bit of the American way is that Mm -hmm. we cover up an awful lot by staying busy or doing more things. One thing that I've done, Scott, that with this idea of praying with the seasons, I try to, and this is new for me, this is brand new this year trying to do this, is starting my day with that reflection time, which I'm not good at doing because I like to just get going right away. That's just kind of how my nature is. But I've been forcing myself just to spend some really great, quiet, reflective, meditative time in the morning. So almost giving myself a winter every morning. And I can tell you it's been one of the most life-giving things spiritually that possibly I've ever done. Yeah. So glad to hear you say this. When the people reflect on this prolonged winter that we call the pandemic, they said not only do we know ourselves deeper, but over time, like water over a rock, I guess, we begin to accept ourselves. Really. I mean, finally to say, I'm not perfect. I've done these things. I know I have. And I am like this and that and so on. But the self-acceptance that people realized that they were getting from spending, slowing down, welcoming this prolonged winter season was very real. And then the room got quiet again. And this lady who's probably in her 80s said, yeah, it's a very small footbridge from accepting ourselves over to the lived realization that God accepts us for who we are. And then we can die to all those things about being afraid of God, being afraid of death, worrying that somehow we're not enough. Some things need to die. And all those things that keep us from realizing how much God loves us, oh, winter is a real gift. It will cause those things to die. Meister Eckhart, I want to read. He's going to use the word you. He's directly talking to God. When I open my heart to receive you in times of peace and quiet, this is as it should be. But if I close my heart to you when I have lost my way and my life is a mess, I have failed to know the truth. For these differ only for me, but not for you. For your heart opens to me with a single, undivided love. Thank you for listening to the Celtic Way podcast. For additional resources on praying with the seasons, make sure you check out Scott's class on the subject. There's a direct link in the show notes of this episode. As always, if you want to support the Celtic Way podcast, make sure you follow or subscribe give it a five-star rating, and write a review. Visit our website at CelticWay.org and subscribe to our updates. While you're there, 
please consider becoming a sustainable donor so that the message of Celtic Way can continue to influence the world today. Also, like us on Facebook at Celtic Way Colorado.